ESPN Audio and the undefeated proudly partner in the intersection where sports and social justice meet. Now alongside L. Duncan, here's Clinton Yates. Happy Thursday, kiddos. You're listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. The show is presented by Progressive Insurance and all guests on the program appear via the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. My name is Clinton Yates. L. Duncan is my co-host. You know me from The Undefeated, where I am a columnist. You might have seen me running my mouth with my beautiful clothes on on Around the Horn. And, of course, you know L. From SportsCenter, as well as plenty other tremendous ESPN programs. If you want to join the discussion, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. If you want to dare take your chances on the Twitter box with your boy and don't get wrecked, at Clinton Yates or at L. Duncan ESPN. How are you today, L? I'm doing great. Um, also, I'm not one to play with on Twitter either, Clinton. Like, you definitely have... The most spicy takes on Twitter, but just know <laughs> I will hit you with the very petty GIF. Hello. Got it. Never at me. Y'all know the rules. If you come incorrect in my mentions, I will embarrass you in front of your friends and your family and say it with me, kids. I will not apologize. Anyway, it's been a long week in not just sports America. It's been a long week in not just black America. It's been a long week in college sports America and for all of us. But. Overall, though, some of y'all always hit us up, Al. Why y'all talking about this? Why is this even a thing? What does this matter? If we supposed to stick to sports and we supposed to do this and all that, and what about the, the mandate? Well, let me tell you something. ESPN commissioned a survey to gauge the attitudes of sports fans, y'all. Mm-hmm. You want to know how that went? Yep. Well, from August 7th to August 9th, the polling company Tidewatch conducted an online survey of about 800 sports fans aged 18 and up on behalf of the four-letter ESPN network, on the topics of social justice and the return to sports. How about that? Mm-hmm. In addition to the base sample of 527 interviews, an additional oversample of 273 interviews were conducted among black fans who were then weighed into their proper proportion for the population. Look at that kind of tremendous polling done with scientific strategies behind it. Today, yes. here are the results of the poll on social justice in sports. Here's Ryan Smith. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, their deaths and the deaths and treatment of other black people at the hands of police officers have sparked months of protests on issues of racism, police brutality, and social injustice. In few places has the outcry for change been louder, both in words and actions, than in the world of sports. Here at 16, still demanding change. Together we stand. We will be a voice for the voiceless. Whether it's LeBron James addressing issues of voter suppression, scores of athletes kneeling during the national anthem, or athletes taking to the streets in protest, some of sports' biggest names are speaking out like never before. We want change. We want justice. The time is always right to do what's right. And according to the fan poll, Sports fans are watching and supporting their efforts. Among the fan poll respondents, 8 in 10 say they have followed protests and demonstrations on racial injustice and police misconduct. 71% support teams and athletes speaking out on issues of social injustice and racial inequality. And 63% believe athletes can make a difference when addressing social justice issues. But the fan poll respondents are divided on how and where those views should be expressed. With stark differences along racial lines, 51% said athletes should express their social and political views during sporting events, 
a sentiment echoed by over three-fourths of black fans, 61% of Hispanic fans, but less than half of white fans. 49% think athletes should only express these views on their own time, including 54% of whites, more than double the percentage of black respondents. These fans are mixed when it comes to kneeling during the national anthem. 56% deem it appropriate, 44% do not. Support for the man often credited with starting that form of expression, Colin Kaepernick, is also divided. While feelings towards Kaepernick appear to be changing, 37% of fans say their feelings have become more positive toward the quarterback in recent months, 40% remain the same, and only 19% have become less positive. 54% of all fans feel the NFL owes Kaepernick an apology for how he has been treated over the last several seasons, while 36% do not. Oh, your thoughts? Um, so, I mean, I, I think it was, you know, certainly revelatory to some degree to put numbers on these things. Again, this hyperbole that we get from people, I think, in the Twitter sphere sometimes is taken a little bit too seriously. Like, we use mm-hmm. our mentions as a way to sort of guide what the prevailing thought is, and I don't think that's always true. A lot of anecdotal yeah. evidence for mentions. <clears throat> Correct, right? Like, there's a lot of like, I don't know. Look at look at your mentions. Like, um, a lot of people who use like false equivalency. So to put a number on the fact that 71 percent of people think that it is important for athletes to use their platforms to speak about social injustice, I think is great. But you know, what we're all going to talk about and what's going to continue to resonate is the other little tricky one, right? The mixed results on the kneeling. Like, uh, we want you to use your platforms, but we're not really sure about how you should be using your platforms. It's sort of frustrating, Clinton, because I felt like these last few months has, has supposed to be some sort of awakening and reckoning and whatnot. And we saw firsthand yesterday in the Dallas Nashville MLS game that, you know, as soon as there was fans allowed back in the stand, what did they do? No, I, 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 I want to say there was a smattering, right? Like it wasn't everyone, mm-hmm. but there was things being thrown and there was booze and it just felt like we had moved past this. And to hear that 54% to 46% still don't know whether this is, you know, a good thing or not. It just it's it's incredibly frustrating because it feels like we just keep talking about the same thing. You're listening to the intersection on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, also on Sirius XM Channel 80. Clinton Yates, L. Duncan, give us a phone call. 888 say ESPN 1-888-729-3776. Do you feel that kneeling during the national anthem is still as divisive an issue as it once was. The NFL season is a less, excuse me, is less than a month away, so you know this is going to come back up. My stance on what the NFL should do right now is what my stance was on what the NFL should have done then when Colin Kaepernick first decided to sit and then reminder was suggested the idea to kneel by a veteran. Reminder, Colin mm-hmm. Kaepernick was suggested to kneel by a veteran before excuse me, after he chose to just sit to make his point about what he thought was injustice in America in terms of police discrimination as well as racial and discrimination, excuse me, as well as racial injustice. You know, so, I mean, I think for me, what they should have done then was just, yo, let him do it. Like, because the question now is, well, it's not like anybody's not going to show up because of what somebody's doing on the field. So you might as well just let people get out what they have to say, which is a, probably an easier method than what they did before. However, what's most instructive to me about this is that all these numbers are above 50%. And last time I checked, not to use sort of a ham-handed metaphor here, but to win an election, 
it ain't 51% you got to have. It's 50% plus one. Mm-hmm. And all these numbers indicate that just as a larger concept, the majority of folks, and 800 folks ain't no small number, uh, majority of people believe that this is at least worth discussion. So when you jump in my mentions asking me what we're doing, now you know. Anyway. I, you know, I totally agree. I do want to ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do you think that in terms of just the national anthem and its divisiveness and based on what we you know, heard from Jerry Jones, which I know we're going to get into coming up in the next segment, but do you think it's better to just do away with the national anthem in general? Like, is that the solution here, Clinton, is to just stop playing the damn thing? That's part of it. I think that that's the case for two reasons. Number one is time. Number two is who made that song and what it's about. But I'll tell you this shortly, quickly rather. The idea of normalizing what it is we as black folks do during certain things, I have no problem with. I know that we talked about this last week. If y'all want to call it choreographed, if y'all want to call it uh, staged or whatever, that's fine. But if we are seriously taking into account things that black folks and people of color and those that are marginalized want to do, we are doing better than we were before. Coming up. Jerry Jones finally shared his thoughts on kneeling. So in the wake of the social unrest in this country, how surprised were you with the Cowboys owner's silence? It's the intersection on ESPN Radio. These are very sensitive times. It may be tough for him to relate to what other people may be going through right now. You don't get to be outspoken. And then when stuff really hits the fan, you hide for months at a time. The Intersection, where sports and social justice meet. Proudly presented by ESPN Audio and the Undefeated. It comes a hammer. You're listening to the Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. The show is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet us at Clinton Yates and at L Duncan ESPN. You want to join the conversation? 888 say ESPN 888-729-3776. With the NFL season kickoff less than a month away. Do you feel that kneeling during the national anthem is as divisive an issue as it once was? First of all, quickly, the reason why we're playing Hammer or what we played Hammer in the beginning is because we had a ridiculous off, um, off mic discussion about Hammer the other day. I don't even know why that came up. We were talking about baseball and how he got his name. But I want to give a shout out to my homie David Dennis from the ATL, who you know, who said he tweeted something the other day that blew my mind. Apparently, Hammer used to produce his hits as well as perform them. That was news to me. Bananas. I had no idea. Yeah, neither did I. So, you know. News, news to me, news to y'all. By the way, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. All right, y'all. Y'all remember the issues. Y'all remember what we're talking about. But y'all might not remember that one image of Jera, Jerry Jones, out there when the Cowboys faced the Cardinals. Was it a preseason game, Shannon, where they all decided to take a knee? And my man Jerry decided he wanted to get down, lock the arms, and stare directly into the camera, making himself quite the meme for some time. Well, that was a weird stance on what we'll just call the kneeling situation. And since then, he didn't say a whole lot. But finally, he said something because people, for whatever reason, really wanted to hear from the Cowboys owner. Here's what Jerry Jones said during a presser this week. These are very sensitive times. I have nothing to prove as far as where I'm standing with the flag and where the Cowboys stand. I have nothing to prove regarding my, my players and my support of our players. 
What I do want to show and want us all to be a part of is a word called grace. Grace. Not only grace in our actions, but grace in our understanding, where they're coming from. I've had grace. Many of you have written and criticized me for having too much grace and understanding regarding our players, and I probably have. And I'm going to have grace regarding the people that are sensitive about our flag. Somewhere in between there as the weeks, as we get together with our team, as we discuss with the team, somewhere in between there is how we're going to handle it. Grace. All right, now quickly, quickly, let's hear what Stephen A. Smith had to say on first take about this matter, which he was, uh, well, he was slightly perturbed. What I abhorred was his silence, because if you're going to be front and center mandating that no player wearing your uniform would take a knee, et cetera, et cetera, where were you when all of this went down? If you're going to be outspoken and on the front lines, then then don't disappear for months at a time once all of this happens because of George Floyd's killing. That's what I was saying. Stand front and center in whatever position you have, you have. I don't care what position it is. You just had, in my opinion, an obligation to let us know since you were so quick to let us know where you stood all those other times. That's number one. Number two, and more importantly, remember Jerry Jones said, you know what? He showed grace, etc. He just wants to make sure people understand where the players are coming from. Well, if they didn't understand where the players were coming from, Jerry Jones had everything to do with that because he would not allow his players to get into it. He made it very, very clear to them. They had one choice and one choice only if they were going to be a Dallas Cowboy. He didn't give them the option. Let's remember that while we listen to him. But I'm glad he finally spoke because all I cared about was to hear what he has to say. You don't get to be outspoken. And then when stuff really hits the fan, you hide for months at a time. There's a couple of things I think about that. Number one, I just fundamentally don't agree with Steve's stance on this because Jerry said, I didn't have anything to say on the matter, and people wanted him to say something, anything, L. My feeling was, no, you didn't have anything to add on the matter. Therefore, saying anything at all was not necessarily something I needed. I don't need to check necessarily for old rich white dudes to have something to say when we're the ones who are trying to be centered in this discussion. I'm not giving Jerry any credit for not saying nothing, but I'm certainly going to say thank you for not making himself a part of the story. I didn't need to hear from him, L. I'm not that concerned about what that dude has to say. Yeah, I mean, in this situation, you're a little bit, you know, damned if you do and damned if you don't, because when we did hear from these old rich white dudes, we were, it was like, oh, it's performative, it's hollow, none of it's true, you don't actually believe that anyway. But I do have to say, like, to wait 109 days for the guy to say the word grace 17 times in five minutes. I mean, Clinton, we both, we've, we've, we've both, I counted. We've both sat through black church, which is like four or five hours long. And I have never heard the word grace used even that many times in a four hour service. So, you know, just like, listen, it's a word salad and we fully understand, but you mentioned earlier that Jerry Jones sort of took that knee, then stood up, then never did it again. Cause he got booed boo. Cause he got booed. And if Jerry Jones wants anything more than having, full autonomy over everything that the NFL does. He wants to be liked. He wants to be beloved in particular in Dallas. And like the idea that his fans would boo him and boo something that he's allowing to happen at Cowboy Stadium. That's why. So to me, this is at the very least a little bit better than where he was before on that sort of hardline stance of, you know, you toe the line or you're going to get cut. But at the same time for uh, the man in the same, you know, sort of breath to say, I'm listening and I'm talking to players, but also I'm talking to President Trump. Like what else is there 
there to hear from President Trump. Like, he's been very clear about how he feels about kneeling. What kind of introspecting are you do after you, you know, get debriefed by President Trump? I just, the whole thing was stupid, and honestly, we didn't need to hear it. I'm more impressed by the fact that because he said that, we're talking about this instead of the idea of Cowboy Stadium being equipped with some rarefied air purifying flow system or whatever that allows fans to be in the stands. And then, of course, his incredibly... Uh, you know, weird statement that, you know, when fans are in the stands, they're going to be here of their own volition, as opposed to like before when we used to force them in the stadium by threat. I'm just so confused by the entire thing. Let's hear with Jay Williams, co-host of Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin, which, by the way, you can check on ESPN and ESPN2, Shannon. I should know this, but it's ESPN News. It's going to be on TV and on the radio, so you can look at their <laughs> pretty faces all at once. Let's hear what Jay Williams had to say about what Jones lost Regarding the anthem. I look at what Jerry Jones said as a, as a lost battle. He's not going to apologize. You know Jerry better than anybody. He does not have the personality no, Jerry, to say, no, no. wait, let me finish. He does not have the personality to say, here's what I've learned, guys. I've evolved as a person about everything that's happened. That's not Jerry Jones' style. It's not his style, personality. But, right? but I feel like that was a state of omission right there. Him pretty much saying that I've lost this battle, but I've lost this battle. The show debuts Monday on ESPN Radio and ESPN News from 6 to 10. Eastern Standard Time. Do you think he's lost the battle? Oh. But it's not, no, because look at the survey numbers that we just showed. And listen, do you lose this battle? Maybe if you're in a more progressive city, right? Maybe if you're in San Francisco, despite the fact that, well, we all know where the start of this happened, right? Colin Ka- Kaepernick in San Francisco. Yeah. But in Texas, I mean, there's a reason that the president continues to go to college games in the South because that is the base, period. And so, no, I don't think that he's lost out on an issue that is still incredibly divisive and still to this point has almost 50% of at least fans that we surveyed saying, eh, I don't think this is the right time to do this. one 888 espn 1-888-729-3776. With the NFL season kickoff less than a month away, do you feel that kneeling during the National Anthem is still as divisive an issue as it once was? You know what? I still kneel during the National Anthem. And by kneel, I mean I sit. I don't stand during it. That's just what I do during the National Anthem, even when I cover games. What effect do you think postponing the football season to the spring is going to have on other major revenue-generating sports, including basketball? We talked with one of the biggest names in college hoops, John Calipari, who joins the intersection. I just want to say this as well, by the way. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of really, really awful looks from people sometimes when I don't stand for the National Anthem. Sure. And that's just- Do they, are those the same people that look at you weird while they're getting hot dogs or on their cell phone while the National Anthem is playing or I, again, at the I mean, concession stand in the bathroom? All my point is, is, uh-huh. this, is that a lot more people don't respect that song and don't need to respect that song in a certain way than a lot of people are willing to believe. I don't see y'all standing in your in your homes, on your couches. You don't. John Calipari, he joins the intersection next. You know who he is because he's a famous college basketball coach. This is ESPN Radio. The Intersection, where sports and social justice meet. Proudly presented by ESPN Audio and The Undefeated. It's The Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. My name is Clinton Yates. Her name is L. Duncan. All our guests join us via the Shell Penzoil Performance Line. And joining us right now, of course, is Coach Cal, John Calipari, Kentucky's men's basketball head coach. Coach, let me ask you, first of all, thank you for joining us. Let me say that. Secondarily, let me ask you this. We've heard so much from football players, from other athletes around the, what I'll just call the student-athlete diaspora. And we've talked about what happens going from fall to spring in terms of the outdoor sports. And I feel like we haven't had a lot of discussion about what this could mean 
for those of y'all inside the gyms. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but let me ask you. What are your players and people you know around college basketball saying to you about how this could affect you specifically in terms of Wildcats basketball? Well, Clinton, first of all, uh, I think everybody's focus right now is on football, which is why, you know, what's happening in basketball hasn't been addressed to the level you would think. But, you know, we're here at Kentucky right now. We're truly in a bubble in the lodge where our kids stay and they're you know, and, and then the practice facility, which is our own, and the weight training and training room and the the cook and everything, we're in a bubble. Um, the thing that's happened for all of us in basketball, the NBA and the WNBA has shown a path uh, for us to have a season. The one thing every campus seems to be doing, Clinton, is saying there's not going to be people on campus after Thanksgiving. Mm. So probably opens up a door after Thanksgiving that even if we're not having fans, that there's there's going to be a safe campus based on your team's going to be there by themselves. So, um, you know, going forward, we got to listen to the, the science. we got to listen to the doctors. we got to make sure our kids are safe. But the NBA and the WNBA has given us a path that we can do this, including the NCAA tournament. You can play the NCAA tournament in a bubble. Um, and instead of it being weeks on weeks long, maybe it's shorter. Um, you lose, you're out of the bubble, you go home. So I think that basketball is different. You're talking uh, a team of 12 and probably a party of 22. And it's totally different than, in the most of the other sports. Coach Cal, uh, I mean, I think part of why you, you talked about, you mentioned how much focus is being paid on football right now. I mean, football, their season was never disrupted by COVID like your season was, like the NCAA basketball tournament was. They've had months to figure this out, and yet and still we're a few weeks away supposedly from some conferences starting and whatnot, and it feels like they waited too long to really put a lot of thought into how they would try and get this season restarted. Do you think that in the basketball sphere there's enough attention being paid to exactly how you guys can get this thing going when you're just a couple of months away from what would be a regular season start for you? I think I think basketball will be a little different, and I think it'll be clear uh, when when it's time for us. Uh, I haven't been in any of the football meetings or talked about it, or whether it's league office, um, I have not. Um, but I think it'll be a little clearer uh, for basketball. And the whole thing for all of us is, you know, there is a pathway. Is it doable? Um, if you ask the majority of athletes they're going to want to play but we got to say yeah but we got to do it in a safe way and um you know how we do this um you know has to be well thought out and you got to follow the science and you know right now we we've we've got a lot of teams on their campus practicing and doing stuff and maybe not to the level of a mid-season practice but you know i was in the gym with two different groups today going five on O and four on O and you know, I went in with two groups, one group and then the other group we're still you know, we were we're not doing any five on five. We're trying to, you know, stretch that out uh, a little bit before we do it. But, you know, you just you just want like the this stuff is that was also mental health. You know, you right. like for college students yeah, we want them to be on campus. Our our student body, the whole student body was tested, and only 60 of them 
came back positive, and most of those were asymptomatic where they quarantined and done their thing. But these students, their whole lives, academically to prepare so they could go to college and start their life and begin their dream, and and all of a sudden this hits. And it's like, okay, we're just going to tell you don't come. And and so figuring this out, and the same with you got athletes – in our case, in basketball, we were in the room for 15, 20 hours a day. Well, you can't do that either. I mean, but they're safer on our campus. Um, you know, you're not going to have to go to the emergency room if you ever did get sick. Um, the, 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 the precautions and the protocols we are taking uh, are above and beyond. So I always say our guys are safer here. And in the bubble we have at Kentucky, um, they're safer here. Um, but whether we play or not, that's going to be the powers it be. But we do have a path that's been shown to us. John Calipari, Kentucky men's basketball head coach. Jones is here on the intersection on ESPN Radio. Clinton Yates, L. Duncan. You mentioned that, Coach, about that sort of downtime and what you're not doing and what you can't do. But you also said the path is one that's shown from the NBA. And the NBA is one that's, well, the bonding has been something new. And I'm just wondering with you and your team. You know, what have you guys been doing positively to affect that well, mental health in a good a, way? How are you all bond, bonding the way that you well, might not first have of all, First of all, let me tell you this, Clinton. Hmm. Um, their bonding, we are still trying to have separation. We're still trying to – we don't want them in, uh, to congregate in areas. That's not happening in the NBA in that bubble. They're playing cards and messing around. And, and did you happen to watch the Philadelphia 76er and Toronto game last night? Yes. Did you see the end of the game? It was uh, interesting. Yes. <laughs> they, they were they were like twelve year olds. These dudes were jumping. They're punch drunk. Yeah. They're like they're like jumping around and and pointing to each other and and it's gotten to where they're it's it's you know it's that is hard for them and they can be together. They can go golf. They can swim. They can. They're going fish. Whatever they were doing together, they're playing cards. They have the wine club. They're they're in each other's company. It's a little harder, and we're only beginning to do that. And and my thing was, we're in such a bubble. My team could be a family after you test them three or four times, and they they're ne- negative. But it's still you're taking precautions because this is someone's child I'm dealing with. Right. And how would I want my child? to be treated and my son played for me but and he's here with us he's at the university of detroit but you know what would i want the precautions to be how would i want this approached yet we still conditioning and weight training are so important to the kids being able to get in the gym and and as much these kids all they do is play basketball and all of a sudden you try to take all that away you 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 gotta you know and and how about this one they want um, the interaction with the coaches. They want access to us. It's not like we just want more access to them. And that access is based on, you know, what's going on, coach? How are we going to go forward? Are we going to have a season? What happens if this and this? And you got to be with them. They're 18 years old. They're, they're, they're reading stuff on the Internet. They may interpret it wrong. So that's why we coaches – are saying, you know, we need more access that they want. Hmm. Um, you know, whether it's getting the gym and play pickup, whether it's, you know, different things for mental health. And it's not based on who, who's going to do a full practice in August. 
Who the heck's going to do that? I mean, we don't do defensive anything defensively. Everything is skill work and, you know, doing stuff offensively because I want them to have fun. We're not doing deep. We're not going to. So being with them is important, and I enjoy being in the gym. I enjoy being in the gym with my guys. I got a good team, too. So for both of you, we got to play. I got a really good team. And it's like, let's go. But, you know, I say that jokingly. I, I We have to be safe and, and go about this. Um, but I think coaches get that. And, uh, you know, and basketball is totally different. You're talking 12 players. You know, it's a little bit easier to, to keep a handle on stuff. You're listening to The Intersection with L. Duncan and Clinton Yates. We're talking with Coach Cal, John Calipari, head coach of the men's basketball team at Kentucky. And, you know, on top of the fact that you're trying to sort of grapple what it looks like to coach these young fellas and and sort of work around their mental health when it comes to the coronavirus, also in social justice as well and the temperature of the country right now after George Floyd's death. Um, And I know a big part of what you're trying to do is by working with the John McClendon Minority Leadership Initiative, which is a coach-driven initiative that's going to provide minorities a jump start to their careers through practical experiences, opportunities to build their network, and instilling the value of John McClendon through integrity, education, leadership, and mentorship. I know you've sort of become the face of this, Coach Cal. Why do you think we're seeing inequities in positions of leadership for minorities in college sports? Well, Al, this stuff is about access and opportunity. And and let me just tell you the genesis. Um, I step back and and I say, you know, uh, I understand. I may never understand. I I get that. But I wanted to step back and listen and ask questions. And then it becomes... I got to do something. Um, the the families, the African American families that have entrusted me with their sons, are why I've had any success. Solely based on that. So how can I sit back and not say something? Do something. And my wife says it's not about saying; it's about doing. What action are you going to take? And so when I thought about it, the only area that I think I could impact is access and opportunity. Part of that is on my own staff. My staff has been diverse for 20 years, whether, and it's not just assistant coaches, weight strength and trainers and secretaries and video people. You know, you have 15 people underneath, underneath you as a coach. But then it became, okay, where else can I have an impact? The whole idea was to just do it at the University of Kentucky. We were going to bring in seven, eight, quote, interns, future leaders, but they were going to be paid. They were going to have positions where, they wouldn't have to take a loan. They wouldn't have to take a second job. And they were going to have mentors within the athletic department, and we were going to get them jobs. And then someone said, well, can you scale that? And that's where the McClendon Fund came in, where, yeah, if other coaches want to do this, they can donate money to the McClendon Fund to create a position at their school, $2,500 a month. At their school, the same as we're doing, maybe not as many, but they can get one or two Future leaders, here's what's happened. When you look at on the fields, we have no problem with diversity on the fields and on the courts. None. Where there's an issue, whether it be administrators, whether it be coaches, whether it be college presidents, we have an issue. And now it becomes, okay, how do you begin to get talented people to encourage them to get involved in this? And I would tell anybody out there, go to minority leaders dot org if you would have an interest if you're a college graduate and you want to get into the college administration athletics um 
their position, their jobs on there. I think they're 12 or 13 jobs right now. They're going to come out in waves. We just started uh, Monday of this week. They'll come out in waves. I'm hoping by the end of the month you'll have 20, 30, 40 positions. Um, you'll apply for jobs, whatever school you want to apply. You'll be interviewed. They'll, you're going to go through a process. If you're a school that you want to be involved in this, like I'll just say this. Clinton, at each university, if, mm-hmm. if you have a basketball, football program, doesn't matter what level, you have about 10 to 12 leadership positions in athletics at that school, not just the athletic director. Okay, how many of those are minorities? Not many. Right. So how do we start to say, let's do this? Well, you get people involved on your campus within your athletic department, and people look. They have to earn their way. These are not just jobs given. These are opportunity and access. You go show, show what you can do, take care of business, earn your way. That's what this is. And right. so other coaches, we have like 75 coaches in both, all sports, every sport um, that's involved in uh, black coaches, white coaches. Tommy Amaker has helped me organize. So he and I have been kind of, quote, the organizers, the initial coaches that gave the money for this. Um, are the ambassadors, and we coaches are going to be mentors also. So we're going to help mentor these young people on our campus. He's John Calipari. He's the head coach of the Kentucky men's basketball team. Thank you, Coach Cal. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Coach. Minority, minorityleaders.org. Go to Absolutely. it. Sign up. We have 300 applicants right now. I hope it Th- gets to 700. Thanks, folks. No doubt. All right, coming up, what effect did players voicing their concerns have on the decision for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to postpone fall sports? It's The Intersection on ESPN Radio. The Intersection, where sports and social justice meet. Proudly presented by ESPN Audio and The Undefeated. It's The Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. All guests appear via the Shell Penzoil performance line. The dances we'd be doing when each of these songs comes on would be the best <laughs> social content ever. Give us a phone call, 1-888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Right now, it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. The question is, what effect did the players voicing their concerns have on the decision for the Big Ten and Pac-12 to postpone their fall seasons? Short answer, all of it. I mean, let's be real. If these brothers and sisters don't get out there and actually say something to the point that it was what I'll just call a classily veiled threat, which is a threat that is defending themselves, meaning we can say no. We can take the risk. Y'all make zero money if none of us play. We make no money anyway. So y'all might want to consider taking into account what it is that we have to say. Let's hear quickly what Adam Rittenberg, ESPN senior writer, had to say on ESPN Radio about how contact tracing could derail college football. I don't think they they relayed the why as well as they should have. I think there should have been more transparency uh, from their medical group that's been advising new commissioner Kevin Warren. You know their sports medicine group also. He's had extensive conversations with them, but you know, unlike the Pac-12, they didn't release any medical documentation. They didn't put any of their doctors out uh, to talk with the media. So I think that's been a, a, probably an error in this is that, you know, uh, Kevin Warren's done a few interviews, but not offered a ton of specifics. I think they've said it's really a, a combination of factors. Certainly the new information about 
uh, myocarditis and long-term effects of, of those who have had COVID-19, including some Big Ten athletes who, who had COVID-19 earlier this year, is concerning and troubling to the university presidents. I think the absence of rapid, reliable testing and, and just not knowing that everybody you're sitting on the field every Saturday is going to be negative for COVID-19 is an issue. Yeah, that's an issue, Oh, Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, when it came to the Pac-12, it was very easy for the Pac-12 to sort of move on. They had almost no dissent from players or coaches. They didn't have sort of what we witnessed in the Big Ten or the ACC or SEC with these players very vocally being like, yeah, we want some extra precautions, but we want to play. We want to play. Like, no one said that in the Pac-12 and still haven't, right, to this point. Um I think in the Big Ten we're going to see that maybe I don't I'm not buying that all of a sudden they realize that it could cause heart conditions. Like I read about that in the New York Times four months ago because right. I was concerned about the possible effect of children since I have one. So I'm not buying that that like, oh, myocarditis is a thing. Yeah, we've all known that for many, many months now. I wouldn't be surprised if we find out very soon that there was some sort of bank bailout or something that softened the financial blow for the Big Ten that made it much more palatable to punt on a season and punt on something where potentially you could make, you know, three or four hundred million dollars in losses. It wouldn't surprise me if if there was something going on in that way. Well, yeah, and I'm sure that the first thought a lot of people have, which is something that I've seen come up on um, the, you know, the greatest information source in the world, Twitter.com, is that, you know, <laughs> insurance is an issue here. You know what I'm saying? If you figure out sure. that you're going to get insured for this, well, then you ain't doing it. Right. You know what I mean? That's, that's just what goes on. But, I mean, overall, I, I think we're getting a little too caught up in some of, and I only say some of, because a lot of these things are important, but some of them eventually don't matter. We're a little too caught up sometimes in the why. Like, I don't necessarily care why some of these schools came to this decision if I feel it was the safe one. You see what I'm saying? Like, if it was because they couldn't figure out how, you know, in the case of the Mid-American Conference, it's because they couldn't actually field a team unless they were playing major schools, okay. If it's because they listened to the students, okay. If it's because they had to because a medical professional told them they had to, okay. But if it's the safest option, it doesn't have to be gotten to by the most virtuous path, in my opinion. That is not necessary. And so in this particular scenario, you know, like Coach Cal said, we're just trying to make sure that we can do our part. Not everybody has to be the solution maker. Just make sure you don't make it worse. That's half the battle here. Yeah, but the timing was odd, Clinton, for the Big Ten. They had just released their schedule. So to, in, the, in the course of five days to go, you know what, never mind, we're totally reversing course because uh, studies. It just it feels so weird. I don't understand the timing of it. it you know, I'm not I, disagreeing with that. Yeah, I feel you on that. I mean, it, it feels like they were lying. But ultimately, if the truth comes out and it's something that's going to help everybody, I'm fine with that. Straight talk wireless, no contract, no compromise. Coming up, what steps is UNC taking to ensure the health and the safety of its student-athletes? We'll talk with their AD, Bubba Cunningham, next. It's The Intersection on ESPN Radio. L. Duncan, Clinton Yates. The Intersection, where sports and social justice meet. Proudly presented by ESPN Audio and The Undefeated. 